Hello. Here we go. Very good. It's good to be in front of you guys again. Blessings to you on this nice, breezy Lord's Day. Oh, my goodness. But it's March. It's March. Do you know what happens in March? It's spring. I am so happy and in so much need of sunlight and warmth and clearly some strength to bring this thing up. Somebody help me. Just a little, yeah. There we go. All right. Okay. Um, so, uh, so I'm happy. It's so bright outside. Um, I wanted to share uh, about a couple of things, uh, losses in our church. Um, Andrea and Chaz are out of town. Andrea lost her sister, Catherine, uh, last week. And so they are journeying to, I think, Michigan uh, to see them. They left yesterday. And also, um, Kenny Ishii lost his mother. Um, so he posted something on, on Facebook in the forum, and I think he said, maybe don't say anything, but say something, you know, because everybody needs to hear at least something, whether you like it or whether, so he knows we're looking out for him and praying for him. We, we ask you all to keep them in your prayers um, as they go through this time of mourning. Uh, Also, um, I think uh, we, we, here we go. So also we had, um, are having a couple of announcements with regard to our staffing. And um, you guys know that um, our Jessica is uh, leaving her position as admin. Um, she is not leaving the church. So we are in the midst of uh, that process that's been posted on our site as well, and we're receiving applications now. And then you found out about Jamie, and that Jamie is moving out of the position of um, our youth specialist. So that's going up, and we'll be receiving um, some applications. We have one potential right now, which is great, um, without really looking. So, um, And I also want to announce to you that, uh, that Gabriel is going to be stepping away from his position. So. Nobody get nervous. I said, if this was November and they all told me, I'd be scared. <laughs> but um, I'm not. We've had, um, they've been a wonderful assistance. Jessica was never going to be with us, uh, intended to be with us this long. Um, Jamie feels like it's time as we're moving the group into a different, the youth group into a different direction. He felt like it was time to, uh, to move on. And Jamie is moving into a role, he's actually stepping down into um, a training position with us as um, an associate minister. Now, sometimes I forget, because we have so many different kinds of faith, denomination, backgrounds in the house, that you guys don't just get me automatically. So I grew up in a, in a background, uh, I grew up Baptist. And when someone expressed um, that the Lord was calling them into ministry, the minister would pull them aside and give them this position of associate minister, which is a training position. And it's an opportunity for them first 
to kind of be a grunt, you know, and just and run around with the pastor doing the things the pastor does and helps and pays attention and assists. And as time goes on, the role grows as they develop in their skill and orientation. It is not a paid position. Um, I liked it so much, I think I did it for 20 years in different churches. <laughs> um, but it was also an honor to be able to learn. I learned under some tremendous people who were very gracious to me. And so I pray to be able to extend that same kind of grace and mercy and training uh, for Jamie. So just in case folks weren't clear about that. So it's very much a training role and position, okay? Um, I heard some questions were out there about, you know, us, how we bring ministers in. It, it's not a pastoral world at all in, in that way. Um, he will be doing a lot of different things in his training. Um, so right now we just have one pastor. I pray someday we'll have more. Amen? Amen. Amen. Cool? Okay. Gabriel, um, he just felt like he's not here. His family is on a college tour this week this weekend, um, but Gabriel felt like it was, he needed additional resources where we were cutting back, and so he thought this was a good opportunity, and when we started talking about it, he was like, I'm so glad you brought this up, and I don't have to tell you I'm leaving, <laughs> so it's like, okay, so we have these opportunities that are available for us, and we're going to fill it. We've, we've restructured it. We're rewriting and have rewritten job descriptions and just looking to take it in a, in a, in a different direction, so I feel confident. I want you all to feel confident, all right? And nobody's leaving the church, just so you know. Everybody's staying, just adjustments. And it happens when you bring on new ministers. So also, people just feel like it's a good time. All right? All right. So um, this is the last sermon that I'm going to lead on this topic. That didn't sound good. On the topic, <laughs> belonging. We've been, uh, we've been talking about this for some time. We started off by talking about Zacchaeus and how he climbed into that tree as Jesus was coming into town and uh, how Jesus noticed him in the midst of that tree and told him to come down and wanted to spend time with him. That belonging starts off with that, seeing someone, recognizing them in no matter what position they are in and their potential need for what we have. Um, it's also about knowing that we have something to offer. Because sometimes we sit back and think, I have nothing to offer someone. They look like they have it all together. And the truth is, we don't know one another's stories. And we need to reach out to be able to hear them and share in those ways. It's also about the agreements we develop with one another. Basic agreements on how we receive each other, how we listen, how we respect. Um, those core things we talk about as a church with anti-racism, our anti-racism stance, and our inclusiveness, that everyone is welcome to occupy uh, any role in the church as long as people are moving closer to Jesus and are focused in on him. We are a center-set body. And then we also talked about um, what it means to hold tension in community, that um, our bottom line goal is for the win-win, that everybody win. But we recognize there are times when people won't. 
And we need to understand that we don't just forget about it. We don't forget about them in context of society or within our congregation or within our families, but recognize that someone is willing to make a sacrifice. But our sacrifice, our respect to them is to remember the sacrifice and not make it this eternal thing that they have to wait in until we remember or notice. But we hold it in tension. And we remember through those Ephesians things, whatsoever things are, are lovely. If, what, where, is there justice in it? Is there a good report? That we ask ourselves those questions so we understand whether now is the time for change and that we can bring that win about to our brothers and sisters who are in need. All right? All right. And then we talked about putting on a different armor. And it was the armor of vulnerability that is a rough armor to wear, to, to feel exposed, and to expose yourself willingly. I mean, we looked at how those scriptures in Ephesians 6 spoke when it said put on that armor, that those were things that allowed us, I think, kind of do a velveteen rabbit thing in my head, to be more real. Um, for years on my Facebook page, if you looked at my profile, when they weren't so deep, they just had simple things, uh, my profile said, I just want it to be a real girl. And, and that's my ambition, you know. Maybe I shouldn't say girl, I should say woman, but y'all get the drift. I just want to be real. And um, I don't want to put up so many walls that keeps myself guarded. I don't want to believe that somebody, had, if they know some issue or some secret of my life, that it gives you power to damage or wound me. I'd just rather put, every, put things out there. I take away that power and that steam. And so today, um, we come to this section. Um, it talks about what happens if everything falls apart. You've done everything you know to do to create this sense of belonging within your family, within your church, within your work environment, your home. And it doesn't seem like anything you do is accomplishing that. There's no deeper relationships developing. What do you do when things fall apart? It, it's so important to me because I want us to talk about that and be, and be prepared because life flows in seasons. There are seasons with church. I'm 50, almost 55 this month. And um, I've seen the cycles that happen in church. And sometimes we, we look at those cycles and we get caught up with them. When we're in a season of uh, when it's big and everything's happening and growth is going on, we're yay and this is a great church. And then things kind of slack off and suddenly we get worried. Maybe we aren't as good as we thought we were. Maybe, and it's not like that. Things go in seasons. And understanding those seasons, yes, there may be things to tweak, but it's okay. It's not so strange. And so um, to talk about that, I want us to look at the children of Israel this morning. Um, and right now my tendency is to look at lots of scripture instead of a little bit which makes me nervous. I don't know about you. It's really nice when you can go. And this verse says, but I want to take us through, um, through about 16, 17 chapters of Exodus really quick. 
promise, promise. All right, so in the book of Exodus, Exodus is about um, the children of Israel. Um, God, I want to start in Exodus 3, though. So we have this scripture that talks about how Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro in Exodus 3. And uh, Jethro was his father-in-law, and he was the priest of Midian. And we know that, that story. If you've watched the Ten Commandments, Cecil B. DeMille's, I grew up on that thing, especially when we only had broadcast channels. That was it. That's all you could watch, or the football game. Um, so there was a blazing bush. It was set on fire, but it did not burn. And um, Moses wanted to go check it out, so he went to, to the bush, and the bush started talking to him. And it was the voice of God speaking to him. And he said that God said that I've seen the afflictions of my people in Egypt. And we have the beginnings of, of this story, uh, if you'll let me kind of do it like a, a movie. What was the affliction? Well, Israel, who was once called Jacob, was the son of Isaac and the grandson of Abraham. Um, and Jacob went to, Israel, went to Egypt during the famine. I tell this story because, you know, we can easily assume that everybody here is a Christian and we grew up on these stories, but everybody didn't, right? So we grew up. Um, so Jacob's son was taken. His, brother's, uh, his brother did him a dirty deal. I was like, I went through all these chapters, and I kept thinking, that's a sermon, that's a sermon, that's a sermon. Uh, so Joseph... Jacob had a son, Joseph, and they gave Joseph the coat of many colors. Y'all remember that? Ever heard of that? And so they were very jealous, and they, they put Joseph in a pit and eventually sold him to a caravan that took Joseph to Egypt. There was a famine, jumping ahead, and Joseph was in a position of power as the like, prime minister of Egypt. And God had given Joseph a dream, and Joseph saw that a famine was coming, and there would be seven years of famine, seven years of plenty, seven years of, of famine. And while Joseph was there, his brothers came during the famine to receive food, and they were reunited. And so the children of Israel came and settled in Goshen. And there came a time when there were so many of them that they outnumbered the Egyptians, and the Egyptians a new pharaoh came, and they have that line, that knew not Joseph. And the pharaoh placed the children of Israel in bondage, and they became their slaves. And they built, as the scripture says, their treasure cities, their fancy cities. Uh, and, and so the children of Israel remained there for some 430 years. Now, it was after this time that Moses, who was, an, uh, who was an, a child of one of the children of Israel, he has his own story, which is the big thing with Cecil B. Mills, but I don't want to get into that. But Moses found himself, after having run away from Egypt, out in the desert, standing before this bush that was burning, with God telling him to bring my people back and I'll be with you. And he told them to bring them here. So Moses went back to Egypt and then a whole bunch of stuff went down. As the story goes, God equipped him 
He had a staff in his hand. He told him to put the staff down. It became a snake. He told him he would do great wonders through this. Moses came up with an excuse. I really can't go, Lord, because I don't know how to talk to people. And God said, Aaron is coming. And Aaron showed up. And Aaron, was, his brother, was to be his mouthpiece. So Moses goes to the Pharaoh. And he says, the Lord God has said, let my people go. And Pharaoh looked at him like he was probably crazy and said, no. And just to prove his point, he told the people that they would now have to make bricks, but no straw would be brought to them. They would have to go out and get it themselves. And not a brick less could be made. So the people were angry with Moses and said to him, you made my, our situation harder. Now, I grew up, um, I told you guys, I was part of the first class in Virginia when um, integration came to Virginia. Virginia was one of the last states. And uh, when you are living as an oppressed people, there is a camaraderie that is established between you all. You're fighting the same fight. So there is, there's some unity that happens uh, that when, when you're like that. You're in that battle. You understand each other. There's some knowing that goes on. And so you had these people who were in the same plot. Moses has made their situation worse, and they're angry with Moses um, against him because they don't know if he's going to have any power. He did, you know, he ran away himself. And Moses, to show God's power and God's authority and God's interest, God sent these things and had Moses tell the, uh, tell the Pharaoh that they were coming. God sent the plague. First he turned water into blood. Then he sent frogs and lice and swarms of flies. Okay, the water and the blood would have got me. I don't know about y'all. Lice would have made me leave Egypt. <laughs> then the cattle died. Then everyone got boils all over their body. Then there was hail that came down like uh, fire. Then there was locusts everywhere. And then it was dark in Egypt. And the light was in Goshen where the Israelites were. And then God sent death, and the firstborn died. And we have that story of the Passover that we are about to celebrate, where they painted their doorposts with lamb's blood so that the death angel would pass over them. These are incredible things that God did, and the people were united, and they, um, they, they were watching all of the things that God would do and, they, and how they would work together. And finally, Pharaoh told them that they could leave, and they left. They, didn't, they left, and they left with some of the treasures that were in Egypt themselves, and God took them out through a mighty hand. It was clear God was in their midst. And then Pharaoh changed his mind. And so they are running out, da -da 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 -da, and, and Pharaoh's coming after them in his chariots, and I can still see the Cecil B. DeMille's and, and that guy with the bald head and all that stuff going on, and your Brenner, and um, it's just the perfect stuff of movies. Here comes Pharaoh, they're trapped by the Red Sea, and God does another miracle. He opens up the sea so they could walk through it on dry land. And after all that, you think the people would be good, right? I've seen all the plagues. I've seen 
You opened this incredible body of water right in front of my face. That's cool. They saw Pharaoh and his men get destroyed by the sea when God let it cover them up. They went on the other side. It's funny. God had taken immense steps to show them that they belonged to him. That God made it rain. I mean, God, God wanted them to know with clarity that they were his. So, you know, the story goes, the first thing he did, they went to the other side and there was no water for them to drink. And so he took bitter water and he made it sweet. And then the folks got hangry. You see the Snickers commercials? They got hangry with God and with Moses because there was nothing to eat. And God allowed manna to come down from, um, from heaven. And then the folks were like, okay, the manna is not enough. We want some protein. God has some protein. My family gets like that because my, my two kids are vegetarians and they cook for us. And my husband and son will look at me like, you have got to be kidding me. You better get some chicken something on this plate. And so God sent quail, and the quail came down, and they traveled and camped at places um, where they were just, they stirred up a fuss. So you have the, the, the quail, the rain, the, the raining down of the manna. Then they have a battle, the Amaleks come up and they have to battle the Amaleks. This is the story where, where they have to hold up Moses' arms because every time his arms are raised, they win the battle. But when his hands go down, they start losing. And finally, after all this stuff and this witness of God, this witness of God traveling with them during the day like as a pillar of cloud, at night as a pillar of fire, they have seen the works, the actions, the activities of God. And each time God provided there was another complaint, another sense of murmuring, or God has brought us out here. We would have been better off, they said, in Egypt. And Moses said to them, how in the world would you deny and say things against the Lord? Talk about me all you want, but how dare you do that? So in chapter 18, in chapter 18 of Exodus, Moses gets back to Jethro's. And Jethro comes out to greet him. And he says, Jethro, your father-in-law has come to visit you, Moses was told. And he's brought your wife and your two sons. And Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and greeted him warmly. And they asked about each other's health. And then they went into Moses' tent to talk further. And Moses related to his father-in-law all that had been happening and what the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians in order to deliver Israel and all the problems there had been along the way and how the Lord had delivered his people from them all. And Jethro was very happy about everything the Lord had done for Israel and about his bringing them out of Egypt. I read that verse of scripture and I thought, oh, that's, that, you know, that's really cool. Um, Moses shared everything. But in the midst of Moses sharing everything with, uh, about what had happened, I noticed this. When he told him about all the problems they had, Jethro didn't act like he was surprised. 
by the problems, the murmuring of the people, the things that went down. He didn't act like he was surprised by those problems. He celebrated how God had shown up. He celebrated and declared that God, this God, next verse, Bless the Lord, Jethro said, for he has saved you from the Egyptians and from Pharaoh, and he has rescued Egypt, I mean Israel. I know now that the Lord is greater than any other God because he's delivered his people from the proud and cruel Egyptians. So all of this testimony about God and no word about the way the people behave, no shock. at all. You'd think the people would be good. God performed. God did so much. But even in the midst of that, it was not enough. Imagine God saying, I showed you that I'm real. I showed you that I care. I showed you that you belong to me. I provided you with freedom. I liberated you from your oppressors. I saw, you saw that I controlled nature, that the clouds, the fire, the water obey me. When you're hungry, I fed you bread. And if you needed anything, I protected you. Even when you were thirsty, I made water come from a rock. God performed, God showed who he was, and you would think that these people would be satisfied. But again, it wasn't enough. Moses seems like the only one who was really, given the text, bothered by this. And in thinking about that, bothered by the people's behavior, Yes, we celebrate God, but I'm bothered by your behavior. Because you think after everything that's happened, you think after you see the way God moved and used me and brought us through, that we would be united together, full force, moving forward with our, our, our sight on the promised land and on, on knowing this God. And I came to realize, even some later words that Moses spoke in that chapter, he told Moses, that's the chapter where, they, they say that Moses is being uh, somewhat, uh, I don't want to say foolish, but that's the only word I can think of right now, because he was judging all the people. And he told him that it was just too heavy for him, too much for him to do. And so Moses, he told, Jethro told Moses to appoint people, to hear the disputes And in considering what was happening, that Jethro, Jethro wasn't surprised. And the disputes seemed to abound so much they needed hundreds of judges. I kind of asked myself the question, why do I get surprised? Why do I get disappointed? The scripture seems so full of these contradictions that God does this great thing and the people do something and turn away. My life seems so full of these contradictions that God does some incredible things for me. 
I had a, a house in Boston before I moved here. I needed to sell the house. The people told us it was going to take, we needed to put $30,000 into the house before we could sell the house. I said, Lord, we don't have $30,000. Somebody came to mind for my husband. My husband went to our store in Boston. The person walked into the store. He didn't have to call them. Talk to her. She came and saw my house. She walked out with the sign for my house, put it in the ground, and the man who bought my house walked up to her at that very moment. God does these incredible things, right? And still, I turn around and get nervous, scared. I start complaining and murmuring. And then, but you know, the spotlight, I don't necessarily put on myself. I'm putting it on myself right now for you guys, right? But you can think about the places in your life when it's been like that for you, right? But then we go into a church and we see people behaving just the same way we behave, forgetful, wanting more, and in essence saying, Lord, what you've done is not enough. And we go, why do people act like that? When well, we've seen it over and over and over again. When I became a Christian and went into church, you know, you're on your honeymoon. It is great when you first know the Lord, right? Everything is a new discovery, at least for me, okay? It was a new discovery. Scripture was new to me. I love reading the scripture, asking questions, reviewing things. It was just an exciting time. And I didn't come out of a, um, I came out of a faith tradition, but I hadn't been hammered with stuff. So everything was new. So if I read that the Lord could do something, the Lord can heal you. I'm like, oh, great. Okay, Lord, I need to be healed on this. It was this naive faith, right? And God kept showing me he was real. But the longer I spent time in church and got into positions of leadership, then you're like, you get another look behind the curtain, right? And you're like, oh, my God, what's going on? Let me bring it closer to home. There's a running, there's this joke about, for those that are married, like you get married, you're on your honeymoon, everything's great, and then you have that morning experience, or maybe late at night when your spouse is asleep, and it's new and it's wonderful, but you look at them and you think, oh my God, why did I marry him? Why did I marry her? No matter how great, those things come up from us, out of us, but we act shocked and surprised by these things. God performed for them. God showed off. God's performed for me. He's blessed me. And it sounds insulting to say God performed, but I say it for a reason. God's blessed me, and I've seen God. And at the same time, I murmur. It's not enough. It's not enough. You're not enough. But how about flip the switch? Have you, have you ever been in a, in a relationship where the person made you feel like you weren't enough? After everything you've given in that friendship, the phone calls you made, the times you checked up on them, the things you did, meals you took, prayers you gave, you stood in the way of harm for them. And then they turn around and make you feel like it's not enough. It's not enough. I said earlier, a few weeks ago, that I believe the deepest desire of the human heart is to know and be known. To really feel like somebody can see you, is paying attention to you. Well, how about this? Would you ever thought about that maybe the deepest desire of God's heart is to know and to be known? To know and not be rejected? 
to know and be found sufficient? What does this have, have to do when, when, when things fall apart, angel, and belonging? How does this tie together with that? You see, the thing that is interesting to me about this story when I look at it, Moses was the people's representative. And constantly with everything that happened with God, Moses would go before God and talk, right? And then he would come back and share with them, either tell them what plague was coming or what the Lord had to say to them. And then the people would do some things that were good. Sometimes they wouldn't. But the deal was, as I was looking, I realized Moses was the only one in Scripture, there may be others, not limiting it, but it was clear that Moses had, God was not performing for God, I mean for Moses. Moses had a relationship with God. And Moses just had this expectation because he knew God, that God would be God. Moses, in the midst of the relationship, didn't see it as a simple performance for what I could get, what God could do to separate him and make God better than all the other gods. Moses had this relationship that was so vibrant that God allowed Moses into his presence. You see, we murmur, we fight, we do all of this stuff. But when my, the deepest desire of my heart connects with the deepest desire of God's heart, I find a place of belonging that I can't be shaken from. Things come my way and try. Lord knows things come my way and try. We go through all kinds of stuff. Kids, that you find out they have mental health stuff. You know, you find out, you know, things, are, you don't have any money when you thought you had money. You find out all kinds of things. And what do you do in the midst of that? Because we can run, we can hide, but that sense of belonging that can rise up within us, I belong to God. And God belongs to me. And that no matter what happens, no matter what pharaohs have pronounced about my life, no matter how much someone is trying to hold up something that belongs to me, and this is true for me as a person of color, that I had opportunities that were denied me because of the, my race and my gender, that God makes a way. And I don't have to let go. have to let go of what? Belonging. Some say that this church is like the last step before people kind of stop going to church at all. Our church has been that for folks. I'm grateful that it has been that for some people. I want folks to have that sense of belonging here. But I would not dare to lie to you to say things wouldn't happen here. That would be foolish. But what I would dare to say to you is that when things happen, it is our relationship with the living God that allows us to hang on. You have all that stuff going on in the Methodist church, and there are some very faithful Methodist people who are hanging on and praying. You have a world gone upside down in the U.S. where evangelicals, you know, sometimes to me, doesn't have to be to you, in some ways we all do it. Baptists lose their mind, evangelicals lose their mind. And how do you hang on? And it's through the relationship that we have with God. 
it is through this relationship that Moses had. And that Moses, when we look at the story, that, that whole story of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, it becomes critically important to understand that one person can't hold the whole thing together. That you'll have time of crisis and people walking away again and again. And you can't believe in Moses and you can't believe in the pastor and you can't believe in just one person. It is not faith in the performances of God. It's not faith in the things that God has done. I am so grateful that my household, I needed that money. But I do not have faith in the God that gets me money. I don't have faith in the God who healed my body. I have faith. In God, because God is good, by God's self. The relationship has been so wonderful and so true. I'm trying to make, yes, a little nuanced distinction, but it's an important nuanced distinction because he is the God who does all these wonderful things, but he doesn't want to be loved for all the wonderful things he does. We are not off to see the wizard. In the same way you and I want to be loved, God wants to be loved that way too, for who I am. For who I am, and that you see me. Do we see God and experience God and have our intimate and personal relationship with God? Because this is an invitation that God issues to belonging, to relationship. And it is the defining relationship, I believe, of our lives. I can try as hard as I want to to hold on a relationship, but my long-lasting relationships have been with people who have a long-lasting relationship with Jesus. And we both can call on Jesus and know what it is to walk with him and to study and to talk. And we've seen God move and answer prayers and have conversations where we ask God questions and God brings answers to the questions to us. And we know together that God is real. And it's in that relationship that we hang on together. It's in the relationship. And I can't say what your relationship or what, you know, should look like. But what I can say is this. Have a relationship. Be daring to find out about who this God is that Moses followed. I've said this before, too. I'll say it again. I am not worried about going to heaven or going to hell. It is not an issue for me. Why? Because I have a relationship with God and wherever God is, I'll be. I don't have to worry about those things because of the relationship. So what do I focus on? How I can better this relationship so I can stop being wishy-washy and murmuring. And that when I encourage you to see the hand of God, you get excited because I got the money and the person walked up to sell the house. But then I can get excited because we all can share those kinds of stories. Because God is going to be who God is. God is generous. God is loving. God is kind. But we've got to taste and know it for ourselves. And when we know it for ourselves, it plants within us a faith so deep, a trust so deep, that we are able to be planted firmly and withstand whatever storm comes. What do you do when it all falls apart? 
What do you do when you are crying and you are hurt and you have been abused and you don't feel seen by people who should have seen you all along, who said they did but didn't and have hurt you? How do you stand? It is in the relationship with God, bare and naked, that this is who I am and I believe you. And I believe that I will see the goodness of the Lord in this land of the living. My life, your life, I believe it. I don't know how you're going to do it. It's not my responsibility to do it. It is my responsibility to live an honest life before God and with all of you. That's the requirement. What does the Lord require? Love justice, do mercy, walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly, get in relationship. I know you can say, you know, the Bible's all screwed up. You know, it says things over here and it contradicts itself over there. You know what I say to that? Ask God about it. I've been messed up in church, and people have harmed me. I've been messed up in a personal relationship, and people have harmed me. You know what I have to say about that? Talk to God about that. Yes, come and talk to me, and we can talk to God together. But you and I have to know, for all we're worth, that this is real. Because we are in a country where belonging is all falling apart. And we want to be those daredevil Christians who'll stand in the midst of it, and bring people back together. But we have to ask the question, what are we bringing people to? And this stands forever. We bring people to a relationship with Almighty God. We bring people to a relationship with us, God in us. And I go to a relationship with God in you. And I trust that the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit and will speak to me through you and through others, and that God will send whatever I need when it falls apart. Because when I'm settled on when it falls apart, when it looks shaky, I'm not worried. When I'm settled that God's got me, I may still cry, I may still hurt. When it's shaky and it looks like people are coming to church or people are leaving the church, I'm still okay. Because God's got a plan and a mission. And as long as there are people gathered together who are listening, who have a relationship with God and are listening for God, God will show us the way out. But we are not serving him for all the trinkets and the things he can do. We serve him because God has a plan to redeem us in the world, and we have chosen to participate in it. Does that make sense? Make sense? I hope so. I hope so. In the course of doing this work, and as we lead into to Easter, um, I read this, and, it, and it, what also came to mind was the need to pick up your cross. There is a, a cross of belonging that the people of the, the church of this world, of this country, need to pick up. 
and to be daring in the carrying of this cross. When Jesus carried his cross to the street, it was so he could be ridiculed and mocked. This punishment was set aside for the lower class, for the unworthy. And people lined the streets when, peop when people walked through it with the cross beam of the cross that they would be nailed upon so they could be mocked and ridiculed and said, you don't belong. God is asking us to pick up a cross. And while the world is telling us we don't belong, we're inviting other people to belong. Hebrews 13 says that he wants us to come outside the gates of the city, outside the places where people have been accepted and their authority and their celebration and everything looks good, to the trash heap, outside the gate where he was crucified, because there is the place we'll find him. And when we find him, we find belonging, and we are able to invite others to join in that. Amen? Amen. May God bless us in the hearing of his word. Lord God, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy with me today. Um, I thank you for the love and the love of this church. I thank you for you being God all by yourself and directing our movement as individuals and as a community. Lord, we need you. And so we stand in this place of knowing that our lives are not complete and full without that knowledge of you. So we invite you, Lord, I invite you into my heart, into this place, this church, into every ministry thereof, that you would establish your belonging amongst us all and that you would continue to awaken us to what it means to have a relationship with you and to be creative in that relationship and not bound by the dictates of humans, but to be free in your love. This is our prayer. In Christ's name, amen.